0: Welcome to an episode of Seemingly Ordinary with Dr. Joe McDonald. I'm very excited to do this. This is the first episode I've ever done where I've interviewed somebody who has a PhD. Oh, wow. And not only that, a PhD in a highly unusual field. Um, take it away. Uh, tell us just a little bit about your background, Joe. All right. Well, Doctor, thank you. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Joe. Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, so my background is I was, I'm a Minnesota native and I was homeschooled for most of my pre-collegiate education, and I went to the University of Minnesota and graduated with a bachelor's degree in Latin and ancient Greek, and then went on from there to Brown University, where I got a Ph.D. in classics in 2014. And then after that, I taught for a year at, um, at Wheaton College in Norton, Massachusetts as a visiting assistant professor of classics. And then after that made the move to Kansas, where my wife is originally from, and I got a job teaching Latin in the Blue Valley School District, and then three years later, I got a Master's of Science in Education from Fort Hayes State University, and yeah, that's the that's background. I've been interested in ancient stuff, history, literature from an early age, hmm. started Latin at age, uh, or at, uh, in eighth grade, and... I've remained a student of it ever since.
0: Okay, I I hope we are going to do another podcast at a certain point, maybe about the ancient Greeks. Sure. I I just would love that because I'm just thinking Spartans, Athenians, war, bloodshed, you know, like one superpower versus the next superpower. And what drew you into this whole world in the first place of classics and Latin?
1: Yeah, I I guess I think... From an early age, I was interested in history and what came before me. And I think that's something I picked up from my mom. I remember driving through St. Paul. There are a lot of old buildings. There are a lot of like sides of buildings where there's washed out paint from what they used to be 100 years ago or whatever. And that always fascinated me. And then what I think really tipped me towards... The ancient world was starting Latin in eighth grade. I had a really bad experience as a homeschooler trying to learn Spanish Mm. through a cassette tape. Okay. It was horrible. Um, And I was convinced I was terrible at languages. Okay. And then my mom signed me up for a Latin class at our homeschool co-op. And I was kicking and screaming. I was just not, not like thinking that. I would like it. I Were was, you thinking it was going to be a repeat of Spanish? Oh yeah, I was just convinced that I couldn't do languages. Oh, okay, at, at all. And, and you teach Latin? Yeah, and so I, as an eighth grader, like you couldn't convince me. It was just like brute force <laughs> from my parents making me go to this class, and <laughs> I remember, st- I still remember the feeling of uh, walking out of that class the first day and just. It was a complete 180. I loved it.
0: Wow, it, just after the first day.
1: Yeah, the teacher was not what I was expecting. He, okay. he was uh, in his, I believe, mid-20s at that time. He had long hair, leather jacket, a beard. Um, he was not what I was expecting.
0: Okay. And then Latin itself, the study of that was not what I was expecting. The other Latin teacher I know had a motorcycle mm-hmm. and had the leather coat and was also in his mid-20s. Um, Did this guy have a motorcycle? Yes, he did. Okay, is that a thing among Latin teachers? We have to get a motorcycle. I'm I'm not going to get one. Okay, (laughs) it's Uh, not a trend I'm going to uphold. So, so he just must have been just a really I don't know just either a good teacher or a good guy or both all around. It was it was the start of a I mean five years of me taking
1: Latin and then eventually I took Irish Gaelic from him and, and. senior year of high school. He's, wow. He is just a phenomenal person and set me on a road that I, I don't think I ever would have found otherwise and like truly changed my life. And, uh, and so that was, that was a thing And that I, when I, I remember looking at that first lesson in the Latin book and seeing words, and whereas the, the Spanish class or the Spanish method that we had been trying was all audio and, hmm. and no I, no
0: words, no books.
1: No, it was what I remember is playing a a cassette tape and the there's someone in the cassette tape that or on, on the tape that would say things in lat or in Spanish. Okay. And then I'd be looking at a piece of paper with little cartoons oh. of like a pencil above an airplane. Okay. And so the narr- the guy on the tape would say, the pencil is above the airplane. Okay. Or the pencil is below the chair. Okay. And so somehow from that, I was supposed to absorb it and figure it out. And I hated it. I oh. Absolutely hated it.
0: it. Is it just that it's not interactive enough or that there's just not a flesh and blood person there who on some level probably cares about you and wants you to really learn this subject?
1: Mm-hmm. I, th- I think... That's for sure part of it. I wouldn't say it's any one thing. I c- the best way I can explain it is the experience of going and seeing the text in front of me with the Latin. And there was a picture next to it. And I could recognize some of the words. Okay. Like the like the word arbor uh, for tree. Okay. I, I, that made sense to me. Like the girl is sitting under the tree. And if anyone listening has... Taken Latin at that level, if you learn from the same textbook, you'll know what I'm talking about. Like this <laughs> this lesson. is a girl sitting under the tree, and then the so the the sentence saying that, like the phrase sub arbore, like that made sense to me. Like okay. oh, sub under arbore tree. This is I can see there are tracks there that relate to my own my own English language. And so I felt Hope. <laughs> I felt like there was a way forward. Okay. And, and so that was, that was really the basis of my changed attitude at the end of the day okay. when my mom picked me up. It was just, I was thrilled and I was hopeful that, oh my gosh, this is something that I believe I can see a way forward in. And I mean, then, then after that, I went on to, to learn, went back to Spanish couple years later took it for 3 years in high school did well at it and then and then after that i mean took uh, irish gaelic senior years alongside latin with that teacher and then added ancient greek and german and french
0: and Italian. you can speak all of those uh, you can read all of those
1: i was decent at german in college cuz i took that for 2 years at the university of minnesota and okay i felt Decent for a two-year university course. Uh, and, but the, other, the others um, at that time, like French, I only learned for reading. I couldn't pronounce French to save my life. Mm. Uh, but I needed to know German and French, especially for reading, in order to be a halfway competent academic. Jeez. Because I, I had been aiming at studying Latin and Greek at the PhD level since the end of high school. And, and so I knew that, okay, reading knowledge of those, those modern languages was going to be required
0: in order to navigate the scholarship. Well, I'm, I'm dying to get into the major question, which is what is classical education and what are the component parts and all those type of things. Do you mind if I just ask you a personal question yeah, before sure. we do that? Um You just have a deeply impressive to me level of education. Um, I taught college for 20 years. I taught 11 different kinds of English classes. All I have is a little master's degree. Mm -hmm. And I have English and I speak just a little bit of Spanish. And here you've got master's, you've got PhDs, then you picked up like an extra master's degree. You've, You've got multiple languages how did this come about in your personality that just this gigantic, epic quest for knowledge?
1: It's fun. I, I just, I enjoy it. It's, I like how language opens up things. Okay. You. And that first experience with Latin was nothing if not a door opening. And that, I mean, I, I don't, I can say with absolute certainty i wouldn't have been able to study all those languages afterwards without having had latin first that that just paves the way because once you know the latin that's what made spanish easy when i came back to it Mm. in my experience okay and and french and french i mean that was not too not too hard to learn how to read it okay it's in my just in my experience again, I wasn't learning it for conversation, so you just if you focus on your goals, my experience is in this respect that you can you can achieve that. I wanted to be able to read articles scholarly articles in french okay I, I wasn't going to I wasn't aiming at conversational fluency I just needed to be able to understand academic French, and so I got to that level after (laughs) after a fair bit of practice but it's it's doable especially when you have the foundation of latin underneath you it it enables you to to just pursue more stuff and i never ever thought i would be able to do that i think it would blow my little seventh grade mind to go back and say look you're not only going to enjoy latin but it's going to change your life in these ways there's no way i would have there's nothing that i saw in myself that made made this sort of that extent and type of learning seem possible as in, in my experience up till 7th grade but that i mean in retrospect that that makes sense what does a 7th grader know right, right, and, right. I mean, <laughs> so, and, and i mean so and i for sure i i, I didn't know Enough to really have an accurate assessment of my own potential.
0: Well, I I feel as a seventh grader, you knew a lot more than I knew, so I'm I impressed with that. that. Um, okay, so what is classical education, um, and why should we study it, and what can we compare and contrast it with?
1: Well, I think it's it's an important thing to be aware of now because it's one of the one of the. I guess currents in a modern American educational thought like there's there's a lot I think since the COVID pandemic yes. people are much more interested in education like the education of their kids having seen the debacle that was the the, the Zoom the, school Yeah, the Zoom school um I think a lot more people are genuinely concerned about what's going on in their own child's education, and rightly so. And one, and, and, but this isn't something that was caused by the pandemic. I think that amped it up hmm. in general. I just, I think it, that whole pandemic, it amped up so, like cultural and societal pressures that were already there.
0: I, I think so. I feel like the world entered a crucible in 2020 with all of these lockdowns and such. And I remember people thinking at the end of 2020, well, next year is going to be better. And then for a lot of people, the following year was actually worse. Yeah. Uh, but, but all that being said, I mean, we both work in teaching. And so, you know, we wind up like reading articles and talking with other instructors and talking with parents. And we just sort of get ensconced in this thing. And, uh, you know, of course, a lot of parents got to hear what was going on in the classroom on Zoom. They might've been home. They probably were home during all these lockdowns. And so they're listening to their instructors speak on Zoom and sometimes they're delighted and sometimes they're appalled. And it just, I think it turned a lot of parents maybe into shoppers where before, hey, I'm just going to this one grocery store. It's the only grocery store I think about. I don't even really think, oh, I've got a choice. This is just what I do. And then- after you sort of get a chance to really see the merchandise up in close, then maybe people think, "I wonder what other grocery stores are out there." So that could be the world's worst analogy. Sorry no, I, I get it.
1: Yeah, that I think that's that's a good way to understand it. I think a lot of people are just exploring their options. Yeah, um, exploring their options. I think there, I don't I don't think there's any one read on it because no, I think no, because so many people have very different experiences. I think you could be. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons people had had that desire to investigate other options. Some of it could be curriculums. Some of it could be, wow, my kid could go a lot faster. Yes. And sometimes it was, my, my son or daughter does not want to be in school. Mm. I mean, that, all sorts of reactions to it. And yeah.
0: Some people were just flat out allergic to Zoom.
1: Yeah. And... I don't know. I, I can't say I enjoyed it.
0: No, but, <laughs> no, I, I didn't enjoy it either. But
1: I think that that amped up interest in alternative approaches to education. Yes. And so a lot of people are looking at homeschooling and classical schools, charter schools. And this is already a movement that's been going in the United States for a long time. Like I was I was homeschooled, not along a classical model. But we started homeschooling because our parish school was terrible and the public schools, as I remember being told, were horrible. Okay. In, in St. Paul, um, I don't know if that's true or not. I I, I believe it was, but um, either way, it's long in the past. And but it was that dissatisfaction with the options currently on offer that caused us to do that. And so I think a lot of people are investigating those options, and so. I think it's a it's it's a good thing. It's something I'm interested in learning more about classical education. It's not something that I count myself as a proponent of. Okay, I I'm interested in a lot of the assertions of like, people who are proponents of classical education. I think I like a lot of what I've heard, but there are some things that make me I don't know. I'm not like all in for it. Yet.
0: The, the inquiry in Dr. McDonald's mind is still going on.
1: Yeah. I, so, yeah, whatever I say about classical education, it's more as an outsider looking in. Again, I've, I mean, I've taught or learned in about every educational scenario you can, but I haven't taught in a classical or learned oh. in a classical okay. school. Okay. So I've been all over the place except there. But given that like my degree is in classics and I've been learning these languages for most of my life at this point, I believe. Um, it, it's something that I do like thinking about and like, I don't know, thinking about in the larger scheme of, or the, the larger, um, like back and forth, uh, about American education like what are we actually doing in this country in this culture Hmm. to educate students um and and what are we doing and not just as like in the United States but all around the world because it's I don't know I just love thinking about education. Okay,
0: you're definitely ensconced in it. Okay, so I guess let's get into it. Uh, How would you define a classical education just for people who don't know? I think people have kind of a general idea that, hey, we read the great books and we study languages like Latin and Greek. But beyond that, uh, you know, I guess what would be like the most basic description and how would you compare and contrast that to other forms? Okay, so
1: as I understand it, like the classical movement is one that's it's looking to get back to a previous version of education okay and again i'm saying this not as a like a proponent of this approach but as i understand it it's a move away from education as it's normally practiced in the modern industrialized western world okay to a like, what it was before, however okay. you want to define before. And, like, this is where we get, like, pr- right away we're getting into, okay, what do you actually mean by that? Like, before when? And and I think one thing a lot of the approaches that I've seen have in common is that they want to go back to the, the rudimentary elements of education as established and defined by the ancient Greeks and Romans and then carried into the Middle Ages through... Um, through Christian civilization and in particular monastic schools and, um, and which informed the the university as it emerged as an institution in medieval Europe and then can still be seen places in modern American culture or modern Western culture, but which has faded somewhat. Some might say obliterate, been obliterated, but it's been... I guess, obscured, we could say, by um, the last 150 years or so. Okay, okay. Uh, And so so it's a movement back to that medieval approach. And one of the foundational um, essays in the, from what I can tell, in the classical movement is this essay by Dorothy Sayers, who's a a British woman writing in 1947, I believe. It's called The Lost Tools of Learning. okay. Um, from what I can tell, people interested in classical education either have read this or, or who have, they've been told to read this. Um, and in this essay, uh, Dorothy Sayers talks about how modern people, again, this is 1947 or 48, they're in a very precarious position intellectually because logic, grammar, and those basic intellectual faculties have been neglected by modern education, as Mm. she sees it. And so she calls for, I believe what she describes as like a neo-medieval approach to education.
0: Okay, neo-medieval. Something like that. I'm going to assume what she's saying with that is a combination of the best from, I don't know, where we started, the Romans, the Greeks, and the medievals, uh, and then combining that with what's going on now, but the best of all of the above. Yeah, I I think so. Now, you can take a lot of angles on this. Like, okay, okay how much of the modern world should you right. include? Right, right. When when I say best of, that just really obscures the details. Yeah. We don't know the details. Yeah, we don't.
1: And then that just opens up more questions. What's the best of the new stuff? And Okay. But a lot of the approaches, so they say, okay, we're going to make a return, and then we're going to basically get back to the basics, the, okay. the foundation, the intellectual and cultural spiritual building blocks of the Western civilization. And we're going to do it through the seven liberal arts.
0: Okay. What are, are, what are these? I mean, if that's going to be part of our classical education, yeah, so. that
1: that's what a lot what of, are a few of refer them? to. So the, the first three are the trivium. So that's, uh, th- that's grammar, logic and dialectic. Okay. And, uh, or rhetoric. And then you go on to the quadrivium. So once you've, so those are the, as I understand it, as the proponents of classical education present them, those are the foundation. Okay. And then you build on top of that the four remaining liberal arts, which are, all, all have to do with numbers. So there's mathematics, geometry, astronomy, and music. Hmm. And so that's, I guess, numbers coming alive like we're doing okay. stuff with numbers okay that's, that's how I see. that's how I make sense of that um and so i believe the way that the class, people starting or teaching in a classical school they try to organize their curriculum in order to um inculcate these skills these capacities these intellectual faculties in their students um, but Um, because we're in the modern world, they also have to, they have to simultaneously do that with the teachers.
0: Gotcha. You can't teach something you don't have. Gotcha. So, I mean, this really is a desire to just kind of get back to, I I guess maybe when things were really kind of good, kind of golden, so to speak. Um, why are people proponents for this? I mean, some people take old things and throw them out. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, what's the sales pitch for this? Like, I don't know. I'm, I Let's say I have children and I want to take them to my five local schools. And one of them is offering classical education like this. I mean, how is this going to make my child into a better person?
1: Oh, boy. They would, I mean, they would say, I think one one approach to that would be, well, it will make your child a better person because this is a ti- the time-tested way to educate someone to to basically build up their humanity in a way that's going to lead to maximum flourishing in their life mm. um and and so by these are by focusing on these fundamentals of education you're going to be making your son or daughter the best human being that they can be
0: do they have kind of a belief that maybe other schools let's just go back to the trivium. Mm -hmm. Uh, that other schools are just maybe not doing such a great job with grammar and logic and rhetoric?
1: I think that's a given now. Okay. I don't think you... I mean, that's part of what Dorothy Sayers was complaining about. In 1947. Yeah, in 1947. Nobody can spot a logical fallacy in these arguments. No one's thinking about these things logically. There aren't... So many people are... Writing things and it's just incoherent grammatically, and so I think that's not a hard pitch to make to modern people. At I think I hope that That your schools are failing, and I think yeah. And getting back to the the first thing you said in asking this question is like, why would someone be interested in this? Okay, I I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, but Uh I think it's a reactionary movement. Okay, and well. I mean, if, if you so years bad, to yeah, the Greeks and the
0: Romans, it's reactionary. Yeah,
1: it's modern. It's I think a lot of it seems to be founded in this deep dissatisfaction with what modern the modern West has done with education. Mm. There's a there's a sense that we're, there's a, there are serious deficits that manifest themselves in thing in in ways that I think most of us are. Familiar with, okay. however passionately we feel about their their gravity and how to rectify them, things like bad grammar, like poor writing, um, logical, lack fantasies. of logical consistency, and 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 so when when a when a teaching method comes along and says, "Look, that's those are the things we've lost. Let's get them back. We know how." Okay. That's that's a pretty good pitch, and and I'm not, I'm I'm fairly sympathetic to a lot of those claims. I mean, yeah, get in my class sometime, and you'll you'll hear me <laughs> railing about poor grammar or or just I mean beyond just not knowing or not deploying correct grammar in writing. There's just a, an unawareness of language, and and that's that I think is. It's a, it's a very just criticism of modern education. And, and I think that's one of the really good things about the classical movement is that it's, it's making an effort to address these glaring deficiencies. And, um, and I think however you address them, like that's a second question. First is acknowledging it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, I, I believe, don't want to acknowledge it as a problem. They may okay. say like that is just the way things are moving, You're just a stick in a mud for, or in the mud for wanting this, what you call better style or correct grammar. That's just outmoded thinking Mm. that should be left in the 19th century when we started to strangle it.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um... Gosh, that word strangle. Now I want to ask, why was it strangled in the 19th century? What, what was going on? What was afoot that people felt the need? Because if something had been going strong for, I don't know, 500, 1,000 mm-hmm. years, why, why go against it? Well, I think in order to answer that,
1: we have to think about what was going on in education. Or, well, I mean, one thing that was going on in the world then is industrialization movement out of the agrarian countryside into the industrial urban environment. And suddenly kids aren't in the fields picking. Now this is me painting with broad brushes. I'm not like a European historian of the 19th century, but kids are no longer working on the farms. They're now in cities to a large extent. And you have a lot of children and you need some place to put them. Okay. And I think a lot of what's happened in education has been a move to, I mean, we're still coping with the after effects of industrialization, okay. in which we have a lot of, a lot more opportunity to educate young people okay. because they're, they're in the cities, both parents often work. And yes. so you also have, you have a simultaneous change could call it a dissolution, but let's just go with change for now of the family structure. Okay. And that's that that creates a gap. And but it's it's a big opportunity. And and I think this is one thing that keeps coming to my mind is that we can imagine the time before industrialization, okay. before modern education as we might recognize it, emerges in the whether we want to say that's like eighteen seventies, yeah. Or late like 1890s with the committee of 10 like whatever um we can kind of fool ourselves into thinking just reflexively that back then as many people were getting educated as now Hmm. and that's not the case at all in 1870 um of
0: 17 year olds only 2% had a high school degree. That seems about right to me. I've heard that in the 1920s in America that the high school graduation rate was roughly about 10%. Yeah. And that it peaked in the 1960s at about maybe 77%. Yep,
1: that's precisely it.
0: And uh, some people say, no, 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 it's climbed as high as 80. But I think maybe not. It's actually a very hard statistic to measure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's a lot of statistical noise that goes on in it. But roughly speaking, uh, the high school graduation rate in this country peaked somewhere between seventy five and eighty mm-hmm. percent it's never been higher, and that 's where we are today wow yeah but it's it's one
1: of those things that I think, and i'm not sure the what the consequences of this are for thinking of classical education, thinking of any educational endeavor, but it's just the fact that prior to the 20, really World War II, because we didn't get over 50% as far, from what I remember from the statistics I've seen, we didn't get over 50% graduation from high school until after World War II. I think that's right. Actually, during the
0: Great Depression, my understanding is is that a lot of people actually dropped out because people were looking for work in order mm -hmm. to support the family, and any number of teenagers actually ran away from home because... They didn't want to be a burden on their parents, you know, an, an extra mile to feed.
1: Yeah. And that's not to say that no one was getting educated in these like pre-war times, but it was far less time than we would expect or that we, I think, reflexively assume when we think, oh, OK, well, this the education, edu- classical education was just humming along just fine okay. in a way that I might see it manifested today. And then this bad thing happened in the 1920s and then
0: hmm.
1: things got changed, but it's, it's not that like what we're talking about for classical education, going back to this tradition, that goes from the Greeks and the Romans through the monastic period and the medieval era. The, this is education. That's not for the mass.
0: It's not given to the masses. Mm-hmm. They're not getting it. No, I, I, I think when people think of it on one level, people think of it as elitist. Oh, you have time to learn Latin and Greek and study up on the Athenians and the Spartans? Yeah, that's
1: not, <clears throat> I mean, to use a word I don't want to rely on, it's not practical.
0: For right, them. right. So
1: this, this was education reserved for the elite and those in the clergy. And I saw one thing, I was just reviewing some of this recently on the Encyclopedia Britannica okay. article on education in the West from... The classical period into the medieval period, and it talked about city, sit like centers of education in the cities, and they were, um, they were training people for the clergy. And if you were a promising student, then you got the trivium. Okay. So that's 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 not the same as. A modern program that's trying to give the trivium and the quadrivium like the seven liberal arts to everyone yes that and and so it's we're we're not talking about re- simply reviving an old system we're talking about pursuing old ideals yes that i believe are praiseworthy and oh sure worthwhile but well, we're pursuing them in a dramatically changed world and with a dramatically different body of students. Yeah. These are not the children of earls who have the leisure and everything we're we're, ta- we're trying to do something that has never been done in the civil- in the history of mankind, which
0: is to educate everybody. Yeah. That's that's something we're trying to do and here our high school graduation rate like we mentioned is probably somewhere around 75% or so. Yeah. So not everybody, even in this country, is getting a high school education. And then if we go worldwide, I'm sure that there's plenty of countries out there where the numbers are maybe a little bit higher and other countries where the numbers are maybe quite a bit lower. Yeah, uh, we're, we're just nowhere near this goal of educating 100% of the population.
1: Yeah. I saw in Kansas it's 84%. 84%. As of like 2018. Okay. Yeah. And and I'm, and this is just something I, I wrestle with. What does this mean for education? Yeah. Because a lot of the the ideals that people in the classical movement and I I myself look to these people as lights, like people like C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, Hilaire Belloc. These luminaries. The, yeah, luminaries of their time, and but. And and sure surely products of a, a very thorough education. It's it's not so simple as just placing an order with the curriculum company and having it shipped to your door and like plop in the DVDs and work through some worksheets and you're gonna be churning out a bunch of G.K. Chesterton's.
0: It's, oh yeah, now they, classically educated.
1: Yeah, they were they were unique for their time. I think I mean I'm not having lived in that era. Um, I'm, I have to be a little cautious, but I, I don't think it's entirely unlikely that they were unique for their time.
0: Oh, for sure. I but, mean, how many J.R.R. Tolkens are there, author of Lord of the Rings? I yeah. think there's one. Uh, I used to love fantasy novels when I was a kid. And there was a saying in the world of fantasy novels that every single fantasy novel essentially owes a gigantic debt to Grandpa, which would be J.R.R. Tolkien, mm-hmm. uh, author of the Lord of the Rings. Everything is a knockoff, or it's a pale imitation, or it's a grandchild, or it's like a third cousin once removed. Uh, everybody just owes J.R.R. Tolkien essentially everything. Yeah. So they're
1: they're luminaries, singular intellects and individuals. But as products of an educational system and individuals within a bigger population, they are the the exception. Oh, for sure. The radical exception. Yeah. And so when you're, so it, it just makes me wonder how much do we, when we're setting our goals, of course, we'd love to have more Hilaire Bellocs and Tolkiens, but how how does the, like their exceptionality, like if we're going to make them the goal, is that reasonable? Is that, could that lead to negative outcomes? Are we going to? Right. I, I, don't, I just don't know.
0: Well, what do, we, what do we do with uh, people who are temperamentally different? There are so many questions that just immediately pop into my mind. Don't feel compelled to answer any of them if you don't <laughs> want to. But one would be, hey, if our goal is to educate 100% and we're at 75%, what do we do about that? Uh, Another question might be, um, what about the students out there who are not temperamentally predisposed, you know, to study these subjects from a classical education? What if they would just rather fix mechanical objects or farm or uh, do something that's like highly relational to the people? Uh, What about the people who always kind of knew the one thing that they wanted to do and they really want to pursue that one thing. And um, either a classical or a liberal arts education is taking them away from that one thing. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the questions could be endless um, on this. And, and here's here's maybe my ultimate question. What if the adults, what if the parents, uh, what if they all have separate goals? And And should parents, maybe we should just let parents take their kids where they want to take their kids. Yeah, I think
1: that's... I mean, you're getting towards or getting to the question that occurs to me. Okay. Okay. I mean, the one that has to be answered before all of those are answered is, what are we aiming at with education? And and do we all have to aim at the same thing? Yeah. Well, yeah. What do we want? I think the the knee jerk reaction for people in the modern modern American world, like America now, is that we want them to graduate high school and okay. go to college and get a lucrative career doing gotcha something I can brag about. I mean, that's, gotcha. that's a little un- un- uncharitable, but I think, a, I mean, I've just met too many people whose who's guiding principles seem to be that.
0: Like, oh, look, I, 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 don't need to be a doctor, wrong. lawyer, or
1: engineer, really anything short wrong. of that. In
0: the personal finance world, there's an author, Robert Kiyosaki, who actually wrote the best-selling personal finance book in world history. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's very negative on what you just said. He's just very, very negative on, hey, let's all just go to school, kind of do what we're told, walk through a particular program, and then go someplace and get a good paying job. He just thinks, hey, that's a mechanistic approach to life. It's unconscious. Uh, it would be so much better if people really kind of thought through their own goals, their own perspectives, which led him to work for himself mm-hmm. versus work for somebody else. But that's that's a completely different field, a different world. That's arriving at the same conclusion that you're arriving at. Actually, I don't know if you're arriving at a conclusion. I think you would just I, have you excellent just, questions, a lot of questions, and because yeah, we don't. I don't like the
1: idea, I'm not comfortable with it being the goal, that everyone has to be in school, in some institutional school for 13 years, and then is very much encouraged to go to a four-year college, uh, like, leaving aside the question of the expense and the the wisdom of undertaking those kind of expenses at 17, like, when you have
0: that, no concept that oh if I am a hundred thousand dollars in debt when I graduate what does that mean yeah there's a lot of 17 year olds who hey that's just a number yeah
1: I it's just it's it's sad that it in a lot of places it seems that we we're taking the the goal is okay we got to get these kids ready for college meaning going to college yes and, and that is the goal of high school education but um, and so then, when we see those statistics, whether it's seventy seven or ninety percent like some it's still not a hundred percent graduating high school.
0: that's right. who said that is what we should be measuring our right. success by look i I agree I mean gosh, you know. A, what are your standards? B, how did you arrive at these standards? Yeah. That's just kind of what I would want to know. Just a few college statistics that I think people should be aware of too. I've, I've read these in multiple places. Feel free to fact check mm-hmm. me. My understanding is no more than 30% of the American public has a four-year degree. Yeah. So, I mean, if college is true. pushed as the next step for everybody, and if 70% of the population does not have a four-year degree amongst the adults... I am not quite sure how college is exactly the next step. Plenty of those 70% are successful, uh, however you choose to define the term. Uh, Many of them are happy. Many of them are financially successful. Uh, there's, there's so many different ways a person can be successful and many of them are that, mm-hmm. uh, and then another thing that kind of comes into play is I think something like 50% of the people who start college are simply not going to finish it. Yeah. The degree completion
1: rate. I, I remember reading this a couple of years ago that, um, does was, my number square with what you read? It was, it was that, I mean, the, the authors of this piece and in inside higher education were happy because the the completion of a four year program within six years the rate of that climbed i think it was from 58 to 58.5% okay. so that's that means over 40% who start a four year degree are not finishing it within six years that's amazing and that's that's appalling and and, and not because like, well those kids should get their degrees it's i i think of the human cost of on those, the people's lives who are dropping out of college that they now have to deal with the stigma of being a college dropout. Mm. They're not going to be looked at for a lot of jobs that just require a college degree in order to weed out a bunch of applicants and make it easier for the employer, an understandable but regrettable expedient they have to have. And, I mean, Charles Murray has written about oh, yeah. this, and and he he lays it out pretty well in um, in one of the books I, of his I read on education, and I think it, it's a compelling argument that we're by encouraging everyone to go to college, we're we're doing wrong by so many people, and it's not because we're against education or anything, or that we ought to be a, a against education. It's just we need to try to see this clearly okay and, and i don't think we are as a as a civilization and so like back to the, the issue of like what we want out of an education i mean I, I think i remember reading that when thomas jefferson was alive and he was he was uh, a proponent of state funded education in virginia it was 3 years of elementary education okay
0: and that was what they were proposing. Yeah, let's have three years.
1: Yeah, and in the nineteen, I think it was between nineteen hundred 1900 and nineteen thirty, somewhere around. I think it's that those three decades, the median years of educational achievement among American adults was like between eight point one and eight point four years. Okay. And, and so like that's that's the before times and and so when we're thinking about classical education as a as a return to a previous era there isn't i don't think that i don't think they're thinking of that era mm. with most people the vast majority of people quitting school after 8 9 or 10 years and not completing a high school education and i mean it brings up a, a few like further considerations like do we want is it it could still be a good thing to push for 13 years and then college i'm not convinced another question though is could we do more with eight years could we do more with nine years that could set someone on like along a path to human flourishing um and uh, but I don't hear people talking about that, and I think part of it is we're, we're still using, I mean we're this again, back to the industrialization issue. We're, we use school as a daycare. Okay,
0: yeah, we're using school as a daycare. Like uh, I remember reading an article in a college reader uh, that we were actually supposed to teach when I was teaching college English, and it was called mm-hmm. College is a Waste of Time and Money. And it was by an author named I believe Carolyn Bird. And she basically said, hey, I love college. College is my favorite thing. Uh, I teach college. She said, I think there are two basic reasons people go to college. One is to get a classical or maybe a liberal arts education, one or the other. And then the other group of people is looking for return on investment. Mm -hmm. And then she said the classical liberal arts education, these are people who would rather read than eat. They want to read long, thick books. They want to go to lectures with brilliant professors who will use complex sentences and explain complex ideas to them. And they will flourish. They will take many, many notes and they will have long discussions and they will just basically have a really great time doing Mm -hmm. all that. Uh, She said in her experience, that's roughly about 2% of the population and that the other 98% in college are looking for return on investment. They're looking for I need the diploma so that I could land a good job, so that I can make money, and my life can kind of take off from there. Mm-hmm. And she said both are perfectly fine. Uh, she said the typical college is essentially advocating for the liberal arts education, um, the typical student is not. They are looking for the exact opposite. They're looking for the return on investment. See, I don't
1: think the colleges are advocating for a liberal education.
0: Yeah, anymore. see, that's the funny thing about yeah, her piece that. is that. Uh, well, what are they advocating for then? Because gosh, I taught college for 20 years and I'm not quite sure that the colleges are advocating for return on investment either. I mean, if they were, I would be going to college and I would be getting some sort of a, oh, for lack of a better word, maybe a technical education Mm -hmm. or it would be becoming a professional like a doctor or a lawyer, something that pays uh, extremely well. Mm -hmm. I'm just not entirely persuaded that they're full throttle return on investment either. Maybe th- neither one. I'm not quite sure what they're doing. <laughs> in an, my
1: suspicion, that's cynical, but I'm okay. I haven't seen a lot to challenge it, and I don't want to like flesh it out because I'm going to get beyond my own experience. But okay. my suspicion is that well,
0: maybe we're just posing questions. Yeah,
1: my suspicion is that the colleges are more interested in maintaining their own institutional, mm. like. Existence? Existence, yeah, that's the word. And okay. not, I was about to say integrity, but no, I think integrity goes out the window <laughs> when they're looking to maintain their existence. That is what I believe is their primary concern.
0: In sociology, I think that's called the iron law of oligarchy, but I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's the iron law of bureaucracy, something along this lines that, that all institutions at a certain point... <laughs> Are more obsessed with preserving the life of the institution than they are of accomplishing the original mission.
1: Yeah, and that and that institution, I believe, is dead. Then, is what? it's, it's dead? Yeah. It's on the way to just it's okay. a moribund okay. institution. Okay, and
0: we're, we've been on autopilot so long that we're asleep at the wheel. Yeah, and
1: I mean, I remember a few years, like years, many years ago. By now, I was driving. At night and I turned on the radio and I was listening to a preacher and he said any church, something to the effect, this isn't going to be the exact words, but any church that's more concerned about maintaining its own existence, mm. it's more concerned about that than spreading the gospel is dead. Wow. And I think it's the same principle. I do too. Like that. any, any inst- educational institution that is not serving its reason for existence is dead. And and if it's like the
0: the
1: like the outward shell is going to continue. Okay. Who knows how long? But I think possibly
0: generations.
1: Oh yeah, it could. But that's no fun. That's no. <laughs> good. That's not good for us. And it's a it's a terrible thing to contemplate. But going back to what you said about the the two percent and the ninety eight percent, like that, those two stereotypes of um, of students, I think. I think both of them probably suffer from an impoverished view of themselves and what they should be doing. They're both falling short. So you can, I mean... Okay, yeah, I I, I can
0: elaborate on this. I don't know where you're going with this.
1: Because, so if you're going, I'll start with maybe the easier one. is If you're going to college and you are thinking of, what's the cash value I'm getting back
0: on this? Right, I need... Figures, right? That's what the return on investment is right. all going for. You know, really, that should just be in a pamphlet if that's what we're going for. They should be able to hand me a pamphlet and say, Okay, you are going to spend two hundred thousand dollars on this education, but don't fret, you'll be making a million dollars, uh, you know, net five years within five years of graduating. Yeah, that's
1: that's not
0: what universities were for. No, now that's originally. not what they were founded for.
1: That's not the, those aren't the values that they, to whatever extent, pay lip service to in mission statements or inscriptions on, on buildings and and whatnot. Those aren't the values that gave birth to the institution. Um, And that, if you go into college with that opinion, I think you're going to be selling yourself short. Mm. You're going to be falling short of what you could be getting out of that experience.
0: Okay, and so that's the, that's the ROI people. Yeah, they're... and
1: I don't believe that these people exist in vacuums. I think these people, these stereotypes exist in every student. Yes. It's kind of like Plato's image of man with all these beasts inside, and one can be paramount over the other, but they're always okay. fighting against okay. each other. I think these are, these are two ways of approaching education that are, are going to be, they could take over at any point. Okay, and 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 I say this because I can see times in my life where I've I've been one or the other. Okay, because um, so you can if you're going to university with just that that goal, like I'm going, I want a paycheck out of this.
0: Okay,
1: when you take even if, even though you you're probably going to be forced by your college's requirements to take a philosophy class or a foreign language or something like that. You are not going to be putting yourself into that. You're
0: not going to be getting that's true. what is traditionally the benefit for that study. People always, I've heard this a thousand times, uh, just having taught college for 20 years, people say, well, yes, I'm going to community college to get my recs out of the way, my yeah. required courses out of the way. Yeah. I'm just going there to get them out of the way. Like they're, I don't know, dust bunnies that need to get swept up. Yeah.
1: Now, and and there is an argument that says that that could be the most prudent way to go about it. Sure, but that's that's not the way the spirit in which you should be entering into that study.
0: No, we should be loving these things. That was be, the whole premise behind a liberal arts education.
1: And even before love, just openness, openness. Just openness and a willingness a willingness to pay attention. And put your own preoccupations and um, your goals to that point aside and see what this study has for you. You okay. have to be open. But if you go in with your end in mind, I mean, you might get there. Uh-huh. But you're going to miss what could have been. You're going to miss the journey along the way. Yeah. and and But you're also going to miss what you could have been had you thrown yourself into those... Okay. Those classes, because education, the goal of education isn't to produce, say, a a worker. I don't believe it is.
0: Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, it's it should not be here so that we can create more factory workers or farm workers or people who work in a cubicle farm.
1: Yeah, because if you just conceive of it that way, it's dehumanizing and soul killing. And the more you think of it that way, the more it's just going to, I, I think, just constrict your your own sense of yourself it's going to just kill your soul okay and and because so
0: you you realize hey my purpose in life is to be a widget yeah. in the machine so that i can collect a paycheck hopefully 30% higher than the median income of the united states yeah i mean if that's if that's your life mission that's not terribly exciting no
1: that that's there's no adventure in that no adventure and and so so i think a student going into college with that concern is likely going to find just what he or she wanted but okay. what he or she thinks he or she wants yeah and but there's a lot more to life than that okay. and you can through education come to see that and that's what the classical school movement the classical education movement is trying to address and i think mm-hmm. that's one of the one of the most inspiring parts about it, is get back to these fundamental questions about what is a human okay what what are what's our destiny hmm. and how can we live out our destiny to the fullest okay become the best people human beings we can be and and that all starts with finding out about what a human being is and so it's it starts from there you're not going to as i understand it you're not going to take a 6 week summer course and like okay i got classical education down it's it's a lifelong Project, And so I think classical education is trying to address that and, and does, it takes it on that, that modern approach to education that just sees it as the, the road to a more lucrative, more specialized career. Like in, in, in the working world, like a technical, like in a technical way, it's not really cultivating their humanity. Mm. The the way I see it. it, it could make you a, a better, I mean, what's a really specialized,
0: worker. yeah, a better worker, better ATM repair person, but yeah,
1: we're not making shovels when we're right. like, we're not making tools in education. I right, mean, there's nothing rightly wrong conceived. Conceived. Like
0: making a better shovel or making a better ATM, but that's just one tiny facet of life.
1: Yeah. But yeah, but in the end, humans are not tools and like we're we can do stuff. And that part of us is still... It's important and good. Yes. I mean, work is a good thing. But we also have the capacity to choose how we work. Okay. We can work well. We can work poorly. We can... There's just myriad ways. It's just infinite ways that we can add our own touches to whatever we're doing. Okay. And, And that's just in the working world. We also have our our lives outside of um, outside of our jobs. But if outside of your job, you just, I don't know. I don't know what you'd be doing. If if that was, if that's your goal, I don't know if your goal is just to get that career, get that paycheck. I don't know what you're doing after work. It's just like watching TV and getting drunk. I don't know. That's not a life I want. (laughs) And and, um, so anyway, that's, so that ninety eight percent, there's a there's a huge deficit there. Yeah. And, but then the two percent who are who would rather read than eat. Who would rather read than eat, that's also disordered. Okay. Okay. It, I mean I I mean I I love learning at the college level. So much that I spent ten years doing it. It's uh,
0: <laughs> Yeah, but you've got a PhD. Well what how does that affect it? Like it's I <laughs> no, well you achieved something that I, I think is just, just really admirable. Yeah,
1: I enjoyed it. And sitting down and, and reading Greek is fun. Okay. But if it if that becomes the paramount value, mm-hmm. it's getting out of line with what real humanity requires. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: Uh, it's beginning to So
1: if if we have a a, a proper view of what a Good human life is okay, and those are the kind of questions that come up in a classical curriculum, right? What is the good life? What is a good life? That's a big question you're gonna and and it's not one that I can make a handout for you and solve for you there That's the question you carry with you for the rest of your Mm. life, but if you're never asking that ever in your life I mean you don't even have the the awareness that that's a I mean it's like if you have an itch on your back and you you don't even you don't even know it's there but it's irritating you or something like that you have some ailment that you don't you're not aware of like a pebble in your shoe okay and you're just like man walking is really hard today you don't even if you don't even know to look in your shoe to get the pebble out okay you might not even be aware of your own situation but if you're, you're in the habit of asking okay what is a good human life then you can you can start you can continually assess that throughout your life and so and keep things in their place so if you're because i mean i as again, I can sympathize with those people who want to read rather than eat. I've known people who've struck me that way okay I don't want their lives <laughs> and i because I don't want to be a I don't know, a perpetual grad student. Okay. Because, sure, it, it can be intellectually satisfying and exciting to to learn more stuff. It's addicting. It, it is. It, it it's, is. It's so much fun learning stuff. But if I were to sit in my, in my office and read Virgil for eight hours a day and just insist that that's important, it doesn't take a huge leap of imagination to see that that would really affect the people I love negatively. That's true. That's not someone I want to be. That's I want true. to read Virgil. I want to keep in touch with that part of me, but I have to keep it in balance. And so I don't think we should cater to one or the other of those stereotypes. Okay. We have to find a a
0: balance. Okay. And it's, it's maybe the problem with um I don't know people promoting any kind of education uh, that the question just needs to be a lot more open-ended because if we're going to go with the idea that the best question is what is a good life Um, which is maybe unanswerable but still essential Mm -hmm. still the best question to ask if that's the best question to ask it seems to me that well okay human beings have a need for certainty but they also have a need for variety but unfortunately that some people have a much stronger need for certainty than other people. So maybe those people just have to hurry up and pin that down. So if we say, oh, what's a good life? They want a bumper sticker. They want an answer. They want something that is going to fit into a pamphlet where maybe you're more apt to just want to open the question up. I don't know if I'm reading you correctly.
1: Yeah, I think we do need to keep it an open question. I think the the desire to reduce it to a bumper sticker is to ignore the question mm. because it's not one that can be answered. I don't, and yet I, it's the most important I would, question. I think you answer it with your actions. Okay, and that's an answer that's lived. Okay, it's contemplated and lived, and you you can read. And this is where stories. And both fictional and, and non-fiction um, of people, ancient, modern, everywhere, can be useful. Like if you're taking that view, every story is
0: interesting. I think that's why I love stories so much. Just because that is somebody answering that question.
1: Yeah. You're you're watching someone else play out. Somebody like, oh, that's interesting. What if... Um, what if my parents did leave me and in in my sister in the forest to die Yeah, and I stumbled on a candy house?
0: I, yeah. And the great thing about a good story is the only parts that are in a really good story are going to be the essential parts. Uh, they'll have whittled out all mm-hmm. the extra details. Yeah, that's why
1: folklore and, and mythology is so valuable. And that's yes. also... I mean, and that's no secret to the classical proponents of classical education. That is... Grist for the mill in the in the in that movement, the way of educating people, you think about those things from an early age, okay. and that gets you thinking about what's the right way to act, what kind of life do I want, am I gonna be like Goldilocks? Hmm. You shouldn't be, but <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it gets you thinking about those like, I don't know, just morality lived out. In, in social interactions, which okay. is your life. And, and so you, like if, to want it to be reduced to a bumper sticker, I think is to over-intellectualize it. Okay. You, if you want a, a,
0: an abstract definition, you're missing the point. Okay. Okay. Gosh, that's, that's brilliant. You kind of have my head swimming. I'm, my <laughs> mind is kind of blown. <laughs> this is really great. And so you're thinking about these type of issues all the time? When I can get moments okay, and, good and moments. into good
1: conversations. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. But, well, gosh, Joe, I, I'm not even sure where to take this conversation next. Um, maybe I should be asking, because I, I feel like we've covered many of the motives in favor of this type of education, but also maybe some of the objections to mm-hmm. it. What should I have asked that I didn't ask? Well, we didn't get too far into the objections to okay, it. Okay, okay. I mean, well, I let's, think... let's do that. I thought ROI was an objection. And I thought yeah, other I think... people with the liberal arts idea, they would say, hey, listen, um, don't call our university hollow. Don't say that we're an autopilot. We have a core curriculum. We We believe in all of our subjects in the core curriculum. We don't think it's hollow. I think those would be some of the objections. I think the liberal arts people would would say we have a good system. And I think mm-hmm. the ROI people would say, uh, why don't you get rid of a whole bunch of that liberal arts stuff and just train to spur our jobs? I think what
1: I, what I, maybe I'm most concerned to not leave out is some sympathy for that mm. perspective. Okay. Because the, the costs in monetary terms... For an an education to take your kid to a private school. Yes. Even before college, that's gonna be a huge amount of money. That's and right. It, money isn't just numbers. That's it's, right. It it's not that. And so it can be I I wouldn't be surprised if someone could hear a, a pitch for a classical education and just say, You're you're out of touch. You're
0: I can't afford that.
1: Yeah, I can't afford that. And um and that's that's real also if you're if your world is i don't know if you're if your mentality is thinking about your kid's future and you're focused on that job you don't i mean of course you don't want your kid without any way to make a life in the world and that can be a i mean a real fear one that's based in love i think it's it, it it's ultimately not to be it, it shouldn't be predominant over all the other considerations but I mean it's not it's not something to just poo poo and say like, oh, oh get sure. over it get some culture because that's <laughs> that's not gonna that's not gonna win over any hearts or minds and uh, so that those are real concerns because if someone if you're if you've if you're spending the money to put your kid in a in a school and you're told like, Oh, they're going to be learning astronomy and Latin. You're like, what? (laughs) And, and that if you're coming from the, the ambient culture here in America and probably the West more generally, you're going to be wondering because school has become so much just vocational training. Like you're not going to be an astronomer. and, Right. There's very
0: few astronomers who are making good money. Oh, really? I didn't know. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure that there's a few people running observatories or something like that. But, but
1: just like that perspective, even though it's missing the point, is understandable. And and it would be wrong for someone who's in favor of classical education to just brush that off and say, "You need to get some culture." Yeah, because that would be. I mean, that's insulting and, uh, it's, it, it's uncharitable. Yeah. And so there's, there's a risk of actually becoming elitist and, mm. and, and wrong. <laughs> and, and, and so that's, that's one that I, I think it's important to avoid. And, um, and what we're talking about isn't something, aren't these, the problems with education I think are far deeper than just what program we're mm. using like, suddenly, if everyone learns Latin and astronomy, we're all going to be much more virtuous and, um, and happy. Like, that's, that's not, it's
0: not that simple. What's wrong is deeply wrong. What, what is, what's the crux of the matter, then? What is the core issue? If I understand what we've said earlier, what you've said, it's that education should center around the question of what is a good life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe we are just absolutely not doing that. I think it's a complex question. It is. As, as we've kind of indicated, that if I live to be 93, I'm probably going to need 94 years to answer that question. Even if I'm working at it every day, it's a very complex question. I think
1: modern man has forgotten who he is. Okay. I think that's,
0: I mean. Well, then who I are don't, we, for goodness sake? Uh, help us out. What? <laughs> who are we then? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, you go back to what the
1: Western Christian tradition says. like okay. we, are, we are beings made in the image and likeness of God. Okay. We we have this divine spark within us. We also have to contend with an animal nature. Mm. And that's us in a nutshell. We're called to greatness, but we're pulled down to like bestial right. interests.
0: Right. I, I could be a great scholar or a great athletes if i didn't like junk tv and ice cream <laughs> it, yeah and and that's the
1: human struggle in in a nutshell maybe and but we're we're loved by a god that calls us upward okay and that that's that's maybe who we are in a, in a better sense but mm. if we're if we're never stopping to think about that okay we're not going to really know who we are we're not really
0: going to know who we are. So
1: I say that as a provisional answer because it's such an enormous question. Yeah. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm sure um, other, plenty of other writers and thinkers have better, more, uh, more persuasive answers to it, but that's, that's how I would formulate it
0: right now. And it's one that I want to keep thinking about. Um, Do you know what I would like for my last word on this subject to be? And then after that, I'll give you the last word. If this just reminds me of the last chapter of Candide by Voltaire. I am. It's been a long time since I've read it, but I believe the title is "Conclusion in Which Nothing Is Concluded." <laughs> that would that would be my last word. Yeah. Well, I think the
1: if I were to give an, an a last word, I'd say that education is an enormously complicated topic. It's one that I like thinking about. Um, and the the end of education has to be the human person it can 't be an economic system mm. it can 't be uh, f- filling a jaw jo- a role at a in an industry it it needs to be the human the human person, person that student that wow. and and what the student and the teacher do together to improve themselves that 's that's what education is like that and the goal is to get I mean ideally the teacher is progressing along these lines continually throughout his or her time as a teacher but if it's not keeping in mind the good of the student um, in in a and of course there's the embedded question what do you mean by the good of the student and that's the kind of thing that a classical education as I, interpret it interpret that movement that's what they try to explore and that's a I mean that's enormously vital and um, and so an education that tries to tell us who we are and what we're supposed to be and and not in a dogmatic way and like here's my handout on who you are and what you're going to be but let's continue this conversation okay that's that's what we should strive for, and and I think that has the best shot at addressing the the malaise I, I believe everybody has has encountered in modern life.
0: Okay, Joe. Joe, this has been absolutely spectacular, and um, I, I guess my last question would thus be this: um, How could a person get started down this road of I guess knowing more, being more? uncovering what the good life is. what Where would be a good place to start? I think there could be 50 good places to start. Um, what would one or two or three good places to start be? Try to read good books.
1: I think exploring the human drama as played out in literature is a great way to, to do it. And that's, I mean, of course, that's not a super useful question. I'd say... I mean, things I've enjoyed a lot, uh, is at least talking with my student or like in my in my classroom, is Aesop's fables. Okay. I've been using those for years in class, just just for fun, but it always starts good conversations. Because like, of course, frogs don't walk and right uh, and talk to to asses and lions, but it's it's all just a, a veneer for human interactions and. And then, but take the like, take that kind of literature. This is like the short way to do it. Take that kind of literature and just dare to take it seriously. Mm. Like, who is the lion in this? Do I ever see that in myself? Okay. And start thinking about that.
0: Is like, uh, the ant and the grasshopper in Aesop's fable? I believe it is. Okay. And see, that's a good one. People could look that one up. They would see a lesson in that one right off the bat.
1: Yeah. And some of, of them s- are just weird. Because the, the distance between us and the, and the writers is
0: so far
1: that it's really hard to get meaning out of some of them.
0: Okay. okay. Because
1: the, cause they're referencing particular social and political realities that aren't relevant to a, a ninth grader now. But, but anyway, so Aesop's Fables is a good place to start. And um, I've gotten a lot out of, um, of Russian
0: literature Lately. Okay, like Tolstoy, Dostoevsky.
1: Yeah, Dostoevsky's notes from Underground was great. It is great. Yeah, and it's, it is great. And but I mean, this is one place where I think the the great books approach that shows up in a lot of classical learning can go wrong. Okay, where you approach literature as just like a punch card. Like, mm. look, all right, I got got one more Shakespeare play in cha-chunk, and then you just keep moving. But I think it's enormously important to reread things. I do too. When I've taken the time to reread old books, more stuff comes out, and so it makes me think that okay, you can come up with your list of most important books, but if you're approaching it as all right, I'm going to knock these out over the summer and then I'll have a classical education, that's that's a, <laughs> that's wrong. You're missing the point. You need that. Those are books to read and continue to read and
0: think with oh my gosh. for the rest of your life. Gosh, that's I couldn't agree more. Joe, I think we could keep going along these lines forever, uh, but, but I think this episode was spectacular, right. and I just really want to have you back and do this again. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. The biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to leave a positive review in iTunes. Nothing helps a podcast pop up higher in the ratings than positive reviews. Thank you.